Hello, hello, my dear audience. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Once again, today we'll have an open mic show. Anybody can call. The number is 888 874 4888. Again, 888 874 4888. In truth, this is the only way this show can survive. It's been a year and three months that I have been doing this show, 62 shows so far. During 22 shows, I had guests. Uh, I interviewed them on various subjects. And the, during 40 shows, I shared with you uh, different tools I accumulated over the 40 years of my clinical practice. But you know, frankly, I will run out of subjects to talk to if I don't get the calls. So my hope as I started this show was that it will be an interactive show. And fortunately, in the last few weeks, more and more people were calling. So I'm very happy about it. In fact, uh, this week I received a heartbreaking email from a person who is a medical doctor and who went through the ordeal of being treated in a hospital. I hope she calls. I actually I sent her an email and told her that if she could, I would appreciate that she would call in and share her story. It's quite a story. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I welcome your calls. Uh, you can call with questions regarding health, wellness, conflicts, relationships, stress, anxiety, depression, anger, cancer, asthma, any physical or emotional problems you may be facing. And I will do my best to help you in any way I can or direct you to finding a solution to the problem you're dealing with. Remember, my specialty is mind-body integrative therapy or we can call it mind-body integrative approach to healing. And over four decades, more than four decades actually, I accumulated quite a toolbox. It doesn't mean that every tool works for every person. It doesn't mean that all the tools uh, worked for me, that I'm Mr. Perfect or Mr. Perfectly All Right. No. But different tools work for different people to different degrees. And overall, I find those tools being very useful. But before we start our show, I want to uh, remind you of something. About a month ago, I decided to offer my audience a free, uh, that is no charge, four-week course that I would teach on internet, on Skype. And I asked my friend Michael Collins, who unfortunately passed away since then, uh, if he had any idea what would be the best topic to give the course on. And he immediately answered, understanding the dance of life, subtitle, a relationship with yourself and others. So I will do just that. I'm offering this free course. And now in honor and memory of my friend Michael Collins, the course will be held on four consecutive Mondays. Monday, March 14th, March 21st, March 28th, and April 4th. Seven, <coughs> excuse me, 7.30 to 9 uh, p.m. 
it is limited to 10 people. I made an announcement about it um, last week, on last week's show. And in the past, when I taught my courses in my office, I would charge money for the courses. For four-week course, people would pay um, $240. For eight-week course, $480, $60 per class. And my classes were pretty full. The groups were usually 10 to 12 people. I keep the groups small because I need, I need to be able to interact with each person. Now I offer the course for free. And surprisingly, only five people registered for the course so far. And it's okay, I will teach it to five people. But I wonder why not more? Because so many people listen to this show. Uh, is it because when something is for free, it's valued you less? Or the topic is not that appealing? Uh, or the times, the times has changed? Since COVID, we, true, we kind of live in a new reality. But I think knowing yourself, mastering who you are, and your relationships with yourself and others, these things are relevant always. Anyway, I have space for five more people. First call for first write, uh, first serve. Uh, send me an email if you're interested. Uh, it's drpeterresnik at gmail.com, D-R-P-E-T-E-R. Another R E Z N as Nancy I K at gmail.com. And include your Skype name. If you do not have Skype, it's a free download. Uh, as you set up the Skype, you get a username and then you need to send me an invitation uh, so we become friends. My Skype name is Pomni Peter, P O M as Mary, N, as Nancy, I, P-E-T-E-R, my name. This, this will be a short course. It will be about uh, an inner exploration, getting to know all parts of yourself, and then choosing to assert and encourage the power and the commitment to those parts of you that you want to be, that you're choosing to be, governing your life. Again, uh, my email is drpeterresnik at gmail.com. I want to give you uh, an idea of what these mental exercises are about. Just an example from yesterday. By the way, if anybody wants to call, I can give my examples later. Please call anytime and you will be announced and I will be happy to hear you out. No calls? Okay. So yesterday I had a session with a woman who has a lot, a lot of weight to lose. Uh, and I've been working with her for a while, so she knows how to work with mental imagery, mental exercises. She told me that during the previous night, she had a panic attack. I already told her, because she had previously panic attacks, and even once she... Uh, called an ambulance, she thought it was a heart attack, and it was a panic attack, and all, all the doctors gave her was medication and suggested that she takes medication. So, uh, after she told me this, about this panic attack, 
I ask her to close her eyes and to connect with that panic attack in any way she could, just to close her eyes. And, and if you ever had a panic attack or any uh, emotional distress, you can try to do it. But I'm telling you a story, so because unless you call, I will not be able to help you out. But I ask her to go, go inside and just sense, think or imagine that panic attack that was no longer present because she was talking to me, excuse me. <clears throat> but since it happened the previous night, the memory of the panic attack probably was there. And I asked her to identify where in the body she experienced the panic attack. And she told me it was in her chest and somewhere in her belly. So I asked her to see what colors come representing that panic attack. And she told me it was gray. And I asked her to, her to think that panic attack, that gray mass, gray color for coming in and to acknowledge that this panic attack was a message. Uh, and to ask this gray uh, color, what was the message? Because if you do not hear messages uh, in your mind, if thoughts don't come about something, uh, as Sigmund Freud said over 100 years ago, if something is not addressed, it will come out sooner or later in uglier ways. So when you deny something, the body is trying first the mind, then the body is trying to remind you there is a problem. And in her situation, it was a panic attack. So that was my thinking. I'm sharing with you actually the content of the session. So I'm asking her to talk to her panic attack. And she says, what was it about? Thank you for being there. I know you're a friend. I know you're trying to communicate something to me. So what did you try to communicate when you came to me at night? And in fact, something popped into her mind. Something regarding her family and that she once again swallowed rather than responding to someone in her family and so on. I don't want to go more into more details, but she was able actually to communicate with that panic attack. And then to ask the panic attack, since now they're friends, to come in a different form, since now she is willing to listen. There is no need to, to create this heat in the chest and in the belly but to make her ear, one of the ears kind of burn, become hot. And it is my belief that it actually will happen. Our body is extremely sensitive to our emotions. And if we talk to parts of our, um, I call it psyche, just like panic uh, or uh, feeling of guilt, shame, anger, these are all parts of us. If we talk to us, them, 
they will actually respond. We just need to learn how to talk to them. And as I said, through these mental exercises, I teach people how to talk to various parts of themselves, how to connect with the parts of themselves that we are consciously not aware of, and how to create bridges between us and other people. That's basically an overall idea of how you apply these mental techniques. Uh, but uh, the, the course that I will be teaching will be kind of in-depth in inner exploration of who we are and how we relate to ourselves and other people. Anyway, uh, do we have any callers? No. Okay. So the other question is, what do we do? If we don't have the callers, and I decided it will be an open mic. <laughs> the mic is open, nobody is calling. Okay, so I will have to talk about something. Tell you stories, maybe. Or, or, okay, whenever you decide to call, you will call. Again, I will be happily, I uh, will happily pause uh, talking about any subject that I'm on. Uh, I will go back to the subject that we started almost a year ago, and that is six pillars of well-being, because I think last week I actually started talking about apathy. I wanted to talk about apathy, and then somebody thankfully made a call, um, and we discussed some issue. By the way, if you, the one person who called regarding having problems with her sister, uh, and I gave her some practical advice, please, please, if if you. Uh, use the tools that I shared with you, and if they worked or they didn't work, please call us and let us know. I would love to know if it's useful what I'm what I'm sharing with you. So, <clears throat> so apathy, apathy is one of the uh, traps or attitudes or afflictions out of 13 that are in the fifth pillar of well-being. Remember, I would have six pillars, and the fifth pillar is our conscious attitudes and character traits. So apathy is, apathy is one of them. The causes and definitions are so many of apathy that I cannot cover them during one show or even during two shows. So today I want to talk only about three facets of apathy. Uh, this uh, apathy resulted from meaninglessness, no meaning. Apathy resulted from hopelessness, let's say after having tried and failed to achieve something many times. And then a person becomes apathetic, kind of gives up. And we can talk about apathy that is laziness or sloth. Sloth is that what, what uh, Catholic tradition calls it. And it's one of these deadly sins, in fact. First, apathy coming from absence of meaning in life. More than 
a hundred years ago, I believe. Yeah, but now it's already more. Somewhere in the beginning of 20th century, a Swiss psychiatrist, Carl Jung, said, the absence of meaning in life is a soul sickness that is yet not identified in our century. For people who belong to a spiritual tradition, the answer to this question of meaning is very simple. Reconnect with your tradition. Every spiritual tradition provides clear and definitive path and also the tools for following our purpose on this planet. For those who are atheists or agnostics, here are some ideas uh, and they may be interesting to you. So if you are spiritually, if you are a serious spiritual adherent, so there is no question about purpose and more than likely you do not suffer from apathy because you are too busy pursuing that purpose that your spiritual tradition outlined. In fact, having purpose is, is a way of survival. You probably heard about a, a Swiss psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl, who wrote a book, Man's Search for Meaning. He spent four years in Auschwitz and he was a psychiatrist and he decided rather than just suffer, he would do research. He was observing people uh, and somehow making notes. Uh, wait a second, I, I received the, yeah, uh, Graham, New York. Wonderful, we got a call. Yes, I will take the call, please connect us. Hello? Uh, yes, hello. Yes, hi. Would you say uh, your uh, name? Uh, Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M, Graham. Yes, welcome, Graham. You yeah, have, thank you. You have a question? Yes, yes, doctor. Um, first of all, I want to say that I think that you are a gift to all of us. Thank you so much. And uh, also, um, some time ago, you had a guest on who talked about doing miraculous things uh, with the aid of cold water, cold water baths and things of that nature. Do you recall? Yes. Of course, of course. Yeah. Can, can, you, can you speak about that, please? Wim Hof. Wim Hof. Wait. You, you want me to talk about it? I'm sorry? I'm sorry. What, what is your question regarding Wim Hof? Uh, yes, um, I wanted to know his name, and, and if you could just mention, you know, for others um, to hear about some of the things that he does with water, cold uh, yes, water. Yes. His name is Wim, W-I-M, uh -huh. O-F, quite an incredible oh, yeah. guy. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> in fact, I am actually one of the followers of his system. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, he, uh, there is another name for him, and that is the Iceman. He's the Iceman, uh, from yeah. the Netherlands. Uh, I don't have really time to, to go into how he got into this cold business, but he's a man who ran marathon in Arctic Circle, barefoot and bare-chested in shorts. Uh, that would not be, frankly, it's an interesting phenomenon, 
but it it would not interest me enough to invite him to this show. What the reason I invited him is because not only that he can do that, but he can teach other people to do it. And it's yeah. not just for show to say, wow, uh, somebody walks barefoot on, on the snow, but there are, he demonstrated that there are serious health benefits, and he wrote yeah. books about it, yeah. about being exposed to cold. I, mm -hmm. I cannot walk barefoot on the snow. I'm 67 years old, but I, the, the, the coldest I have been uh, was at 21 degrees in New York City, and I was mm -hmm. in my shorts walking to the park to exercise. And I would say, first of all, you don't do it suddenly. I started doing it slowly, exposing myself to cooler and cooler weathers. I started a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would just, I have a terrace, with a balcony, and I would just do my morning uh, routine exercise on, on the terrace. And first it was like 60 degrees and then become, became cooler, 50 degrees, 40 degrees. <laughs> and I got used to it. And so the f funny thing is, like I, I tell this, I, I don't know if I told the story uh, on this show, but one time I was walking. I think it was on a day when I was to interview Wim Hof. That's why it was a strange coincidence. I was walking in in shorts and it was like bitter cold like bitter meaning like it was 23 degrees maybe and i'm walking in a t-shirt and and shorts and, and my sneakers and a, a young boy walks like 10 year old boy walks with his father and they're bundled up and the, he talks to his dad but loud enough that i can hear because i was not running i just was walking and he says mm -hmm. dad this guy is crazy. <laughs> and his dad says, no, son, he's just practicing Wim Hof method. <laughs> so oh, the father wow. knew about it. So it's also you breathe a certain way. If you yeah. go again, Wim Hof uh, yeah. on, on the Internet, on, uh, yeah. on YouTube, you will have a yeah. lot of uh, videos. So, for example, in the morning, I do the routine. There is a certain way of breathing, and then I hold my breath for, for one and a half to two minutes. Mm -hmm. And apparently there is benefit. He claims the benefits. I feel there is benefit to it. And then I take a cool shower. So warm First it's warm and then cool. And apparently it's very good for your nervous system, for your health, for your, for your heart. Uh, my, my nephew, Oleg, who is a medical doctor, actually introduced me to Wim Hof's uh, method. Because he has been doing it for many years, so uh, I buy buy one of his books or just go on on internet and listen to some of his interviews or listen to my interview. I don't know if you listen to the whole interview, but it was somewhere uh, I think in 2020 February or March. Yeah, I read yeah, him a lot. And he's fun, you know, like he's crazy, you know, the way he talks. He's really, really yeah. a fun man. Very yeah. Like he says, I'm a simple man. He's a simple guy, but he does quite incredible things. And he demonstrated that our limitations are only in the mind. Uh, as, yeah. as Richard Bach wrote uh, in the book, Jonathan Livingston Siegel, break the chains 
of your mind and you will break mm -hmm. the chains of your body. Wow, yes, and Dr. Um, Resnick, um, I'll soon be 70. I'll soon be 70 in a few months. And I, I really want to try these things the, with the cold water. And I I'm going to use the same approach, um, like taking a warm shower and then cooling it down a little bit. And maybe by the time I'm 75, I'll, I'll be able to walk out in the cold in New York City. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You said you are 70? Seven zero? I'll be 70. I'll be 70 in a couple of months. Wow, you, you sound so young. It's amazing. Every, everybody tells me that. Everybody yeah. tells me that. Uh, sometimes I feel that young, but then other times I feel maybe like 80. <laughs> we, all, we all feel this way, man. You, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I know exactly what you're talking about, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Anything else Thank you, you want? Thank you so much, Dr. Resnick. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much for calling. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now I will take another call if somebody wants to talk. If not, I will continue. Uh, so let me think what I was talking about. Yeah, about meaning. Uh, yeah, I was talking about meaning and, and I mentioned uh, yeah, uh, apathy because of the absence of meaning. I think I mentioned um, Viktor Frankl's book, Men's Search for Meaning. Yes, and what he did was to st he started observing uh, who survives and who dies because it was very easy to die there. Because okay, if you if you collapse, meaning you you fall down and you don't, it means you no longer can work. So they would then sort you out to die, or they would shoot you right there. So he noticed that people who had meaning, whether they said, I will wait, I will wait till the end of the war, I will see this, all these torturers hanging, that is, had the desire to see his jailers, his jailers uh, um, paid the price for their crimes. Or somebody said, I, I want to live to see my grandchild or my child again. Well, they, when, as long as they had some burning desire, they survived, survived in these unimaginable conditions. But once they gave up meaning, once there was nothing that they wanted, they died within days. So Viktor Frankl confirmed this idea that you must have meaning, otherwise, yes, you will be in apathy, apathy as, as, as wanting to do nothing, not wanting to get out of bed. And I, I want to tell you, I want to share with you a couple of thoughts regarding this kind of apathy. Unless somebody is calling now, I'm ready. <laughs> no? Okay. For thousands and thousands of years, life of humanity was full of meaning. There was no question about meaning. And the meaning was survival. Survival from the challenges of everything. Climate, becoming food for wild animals, as well as competition for land, for resources, living environment, 
for their continuous existence, people dependent on each other. They felt connected. They had meaning and purpose as parts of the community. Whether we're a small community, bigger communities, but there were communities and they all inter interrelated, interconnected. Thanks to the industrial revolution, at least most people in the Western civilization are no longer threatened by starvation. Uh, we have food assistance here um, or having no shelter, even though we know there are people who don't have shelter. But when we're talking about majority of people, people are no longer threatened by uh, physical annihilation. Though again, it happens, people get shot in Chicago, New York, and so on. But I'm talking about general population. We, we no longer depend on each other. And most of us are free to pursue our individual aspirations. But with this freedom comes the price. Some of us, a small minority, but large enough for us to be concerned about. Without this feeling of connectedness to the tribe, to other people, and the purpose of surviving did not find the individual meaning, which drives the desire to dare, to explore, to challenge, to keep going. So the answer to the problem, I believe, or maybe it's one of the answers, is understanding that every living entity, from a plant, to an animal, to a bird, to a fish, to a human being, have their purpose. If you don't know yours, that means your purpose is to find purpose but not looking for it. Like with people who want to find a job and wait for the job to appear. Then, then you are choosing not to find purpose. No. If you do not have a job, for example, and you are serious about finding a job, and you tell this to people, you're hired. Finding a job is nine to five job. You don't send a resume and wait for weeks and weeks to see if you get a response. No, you keep working. So finding meaning is a full-time endeavor, endeavor of experimenting, not thinking that there is nothing out there for you, but every single day exploring yet another possibility. Think of people that you respected in your life or respect now or admire every one of them had meaning and took took upon himself or herself some sort of responsibility look methodically and patiently and sooner or later you will find that you are able to take responsibility for something on a long-term or short-term basis. And I'm talking to people who say, I'm bored, there's nothing to do, I'm depressed. There are a lot of people who are depressed. There are people, a lot of people who are lonely. Uh, and you know, I know that um, 
an average listener of this radio show uh, is a person middle-aged, and some people are married, some people are happily married, and some people are alone. Uh, and there is a difference between being alone and being lonely. Alone simply means all one. You're with yourself and you're fine, but lonely. There are a lot of people who are lonely. Uh, and I met a lot of people who are lonely. And I almost wish there would be, uh, and I am not that creative, uh, definitely with technology, but there would be like, and maybe there are uh, clubs where people could somehow socialize, meet, communicate. Because we know research shows that people who live alone, particularly men, uh, are more prone to dying from uh, some kind of degenerative disorder. In fact, it's a funny fact. Uh, men who are alone die uh, prematurely. Women who are alone die prematurely. But if a woman has a dog or, or some pet, her odds are just no average. So, so man, a man needs a woman. A woman will do well with a dog. I don't know why I was compelled to tell it to you, but, but that's actually true. That's, that's research. Anyway, if you are able to take some kind of responsibility, take this seriously. Whatever responsibility you take upon yourself, it can be a charitable thing, can be a simple thing of earning some money, uh, just doing something fun for fun. I know, for example, uh, somebody who is a retired cop has a very good pension, uh, but he lives alone and, and he uh, gives, like, I don't think that he works for Uber. I think he's just, uh, people have, he lives in the community, people have his telephone number and uh, he works as a taxi just to make a few bucks. And, and I asked him at one point, um, it's not in this city, not in New York, right? uh, it's in Florida. But I asked him, like, you know, at your age, why do you need, um, you probably have a good pension, why do you need to, to work as a cab driver? And he said, just for company, I like, I don't mind driving. And I enjoy meeting people. So he found for himself meaning, uh, doing something useful and meeting people. So this is just an example. So you take this responsibility on yourself and you take it seriously. If you feel whatever you chose, for example, you did something for a month or two months or three and you love it, great. If not, move on to the next one. Do we have any callers? No, okay. But don't stop trying. And if you choose not to try, you will have to admit to yourself that you are choosing meaninglessness and miserable existence. So keep trying. It's your choice. But you must be honest with yourself. Also, I would suggest do a mental exercise. Uh, I will not be giving you a lecture now about imagery uh, and, and why it works. So I'm just telling you, uh, it's a very powerful tool and 
it really works for many people. As I said, nothing works for 100% of people, but it works for so many. So I recommend if you uh, want to find something meaningful, here is the exercise that you do. Close your eyes. Breathe gently and evenly. Long, slow exhalations. Nice and easy inhalations. Breathing out twice as slow as breathing in. And mentally state this intention. I'm doing this exercise with the intention to bring meaning and excitement in my life. And now gently breathe out one time and see or think or imagine yourself somebody asking, being with somebody, with another person, and a person asking you, how are you? And in response, great, you show thumbs up and then you open your eyes. That's it, very simple exercise. Uh, please remember, just doing the exercise is not enough. But you inform, call it the, the, the universe, you, you inform life that you're doing well, which means you create an image that will bring physical manifestation of the image. That's if you, if you want to understand just vaguely a little bit, I can tell you, think about the um, Chinese symbol, yin and yang, that which is inside is outside, that is, which is outside is inside. So the inner informs the outer. So that image that you cultivate, you do for three weeks, every morning you do the same exercise. And as you reinforce and do over and over this exercise of being happy, and being satisfied with and showing thumbs up, which means you are in the right place, that's the inner. When you do it for long enough, three weeks, you will see, you may find that manifestation of that which you, what you're imagining will happen in your physical reality. So that's regarding uh, apathy because of meaninglessness. Now, since nobody is calling yet, I'm waiting. Uh, I will talk about apathy resulting from hopelessness or after having tried and failed to achieve something many times. And there are sometimes whole communities that become apathetic. Uh, as a result of oppression or prejudice, of lack of opportunities, you name it. That's where the term learned helplessness came from. People give up hope and stop trying. People can become demoralized and, and not able to function, not able to, to do anything. And it's, it's actually not difficult to demoralize people. Uh, and happened many times in history. With the, what comes to me, of course, but the first image that comes to me is, you know, you've seen on television, in the movies, let's say during the World War II, there would be a colon of uh, prisoners. And Nazis would, there would be five, six Nazis with dogs guarding several thousand people 
taking them to uh, Neil, Connecticut. I will take a call of Neil from Connecticut. I'm so happy you're calling. Hello, Neil. You're on the air. Greetings, Peter. Hi, Neil. Welcome. Hello. And what you have a comment? You have a question? Yes, I, I exhaled uh, slowly. Yes. And the exercise was so simple that I could do it. I'm good. <laughs> and my response was thumbs up and saying, I am great. Wonderful. In a previous call, <clears throat> uh, you informed me that the, the correct expression uh -huh. of uh, the phrase, I am, which I call a noun, uh -huh. you are an I am, I am an I am, and we agreed that there's a a big I am and a little I am. Oh, I now know, Neil. I remember you already called. Yes, I remember our conversation. Yes. And uh, I got a great benefit from understanding what you said, is that in the Hebrew language, yes. there's no expression for am. Right, yes. That it's more correctly translated as I will be. Yes. Yes. And I think we touched on an agreement that um, the Creator uh, is in a constant state of becoming. Yes. You, you, right. You got it, Neil. You, exactly. And, and we are in image and likeness of Creator, so we are also constantly in the process of becoming. Yes. Yes. So I'm, so I'm so happy that you you got it. You absolutely, Neil. Absolutely. It, it was like uh, flipping a switch. And I think uh, it also came out that, that uh, I'm not sure because I may have been talking to someone else about this since that call. Mm -hmm. but that um, I am. Uh, I lost my thread. It's, it, this is a, a, a difficult subject, of course, but I've, I've meditated on that conversation and what you said, um, that if the, so we agree, if the Creator is in a constant state of becoming, so then are we being little pieces of that. Yeah, and, and the wonderful thing, Neil, what happens when we accept this idea that we are in the process of of becoming, then if we can accomplish it, and I hope people can do that, uh, uh, one of the great benefits is we stop judging. Because so often people are trained that uh, to think, oh, I, if only I could do this, if, if only I could be like that. Uh, people compare themselves to other people, people judge themselves. And the message is, you're in the process of becoming. Wherever you are, you're in the right place. The only question is, what are you going to do next? For example, Neil, you could be sitting and thinking, oh, yeah, I, I would like to call to and speak to Peter. Uh, yeah, but it's a whole thing, a calling, and then they will, that's too much. Boom, and that's it. 
and you made the choice. Again, we, we wouldn't judge that, but you made the choice and you already determined somehow your destiny. You reinforced when we do something over and over or we choose not to do over and over, we reinforce that to be manifested again. That which is repeated is manifested again. That's why it's so important if you want, only if you want, you insert in your process of becoming action of that leads to activity that brings result, bring results that you want to. And you make an effort, which Neil perfectly brings us back to the subject of uh, apathy and why people are apathetic and why they choose not to, to be functional, because it's easy. That may be because they are thinking about their present state as opposed to thinking what I would like to be. So right. what, what I would like to I become, exactly. What, what do I want to do to put into the next moment to become what I want? That's exactly right. Yeah. Right, because the present, I seem like I'm all over the place, uh, but I'm trying to be cohesive here. The present is already obsolesced in the moment. The present becomes the past instantly. Yeah. And this thing of constantly being in a state of becoming, uh, especially in the creator's case, seems to be a paradox because of the one thing we're told, the one thing in life that's constant is change. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't call you sooner, Peter, <clears throat> but I started thinking about v Victor Frankl and his book, A Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. As I was thinking about it, you brought the subject up. So I said, well, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to call. I want to hear. Because my <laughs> question is going to be, how would you summate how would you sum up the the um, the meaning of his book? I have my own definition of the meaning of life, of the purpose, my purpose in life, and I came to it recently. Neil, why don't you share your definition? Because we had one time a caller, and I remember her name because I really appreciated her uh, her call. Her name is Carol from Brooklyn, and she actually oh. called and said. What is the meaning, the purpose of life? So, Neil, would you tell us your understanding? What is the purpose of life? And this is recent. It may have happened. I may have acquired this perspective just prior to or just after my call with you where we agreed that uh, if I say I am happy, that's temporary because or I am sad, because those conditions are very likely or very possibly uh, changing in the next instant. You know, mm -hmm. I am sad now, but I could be happy. And that's exactly what you were saying, is that we should think in terms of what we would like to be, what we would be, not what we are. But, uh, Neil, I would, I would really appreciate if you could, like, if you can give a, your definition of a purpose for life. It's quite simple at its base. It can be expanded, but... but I give us the basic, basic definition. That, uh, my purpose in life has become, if it wasn't before, it has 
crystallized, it's become clear, that my purpose is to love God and to be loved by God. Mm-hmm. So that can take many forms, the expression of that feeling can okay. take many forms. Okay, that's, that's, that's interesting. Well, uh, so I, I will... Well, love I say, God and to be loved by God. And of course, uh, you know, probably we, we could spend the whole hour talking about uh, what wow. love is and how will we know that we actually love God because it's, it's a huge subject. Because um, how do you know, how do you measure love? How do you know that you came to this, you achieved it, that you actually love? Uh, let even more, how do you know that God loves you? It, it, well, we don't, if a person is successful, it doesn't mean God loves them. All it means is that they're succeeding. Uh, sometimes uh, if, if they fail, it can be also success for their growth as human beings. So how do we, you, you brought up something ph- phenomenal, actually, Neil. How do, like, but that's a question. And I would like many uh, other people to think about it. How do you know that you love? And how do you know that you are loved? But I'm just reminded, somehow it came to to my mind, that uh, little children were asked, what is love in kindergarten? And one child wrote, love is like when my granddad makes tea for grandma and tastes several times exactly how much sugar he put in so that it would be to her liking. How beautiful he he got it. Love is caring about the other person. I I think that's that's now, that's my kind of understanding of, of uh, of love, but we moved we moved away from definition of uh, purpose to definition of love. We can have a whole other show talking about love, but but you what what I understood, uh, Neil, what you said, the purpose is um, to love God and to be loved by God. That, now, is love, that is not a, love is not a static condition. If you insert uh, the concept of love into the concept of, of in a constant state of becoming, then love is always in a constant state of becoming and being demonstrated, like making the cup of tea. It's an act that that person repeats to demonstrate his love. Yes. So it's a con- not static. It doesn't, so you can't just define love as one thing and leave it there. It, like the greater I, and like the lesser I, is in a constant state of becoming. So that the thrust of, of my call uh, was to say, going back to my original phrase, and I'm not, well, okay, look, let's stay on the subject of how do I know that God loves me? Mm-hmm. My method, um, which is a very deep and rich resource, is to go to the Old Testament, to the Torah, mm-hmm. and and. I could start anywhere, you know, in the Torah and, and go in either direction, go back, go forward, and I very quickly will find references to God's mercy, to uh, how much the Creator loves us 
and how he demonstrates that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So God never changes. Yeah, yeah. But that, but that's he, now he's, moving. He's in the that's a paradox. So I think in terms of the phrase being, uh, be still and know that I am God. Somewhere along the line I expanded that to be yeah. still and know that I am the Lord thy God. Right. But we proved that. The thing I'm trying to get across, because we're getting short on time, right, right. that I have changed that to, um, I, according to your definition of the Hebrew translation, I be still and know that I will be the Lord thy God. So I will be is a noun, just like I am. You're an I am, I'm an I am. You're an I will be, I am an I will be. Be still and know that, not the little I will be, but the big I will be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Be still and know that, I know, means, means research it, meditate on it, uh, question it, and know, so be still and know that I will be the Lord thy God. Thank, thank uh, you very much, Neil. Thank you very much for calling. I will have to be wrapping up the, the show. But thank you for calling again. But it's very interesting uh, what Neil spoke about now, uh, about scriptures. But what's interesting, what we do sometimes is we move away from our personal experience and we begin to refer, even if it's holy books, uh, we move away from our own feelings. If you notice, both Neil and I uh, run away from speaking about how we feel, and we started speaking about books. It doesn't matter what books. And what I find is a lot of people do this. They begin to refer to some other sources, to other people or to books, rather than sharing with what really they feel. And I would love to to talk more about it in one of the shows. But by the way, to finish the subject of apathy, so what if you are apathetic and you simply don't have the willpower to make an effort to look for that which you will find meaningful? What if your willpower is not strong? That you can work on. I would very much then recommend that you go on my website, drpeterresnik.com. And I believe I have there, I believe, uh, will integration training, or maybe I don't actually, WIT, it's a whole series of exercises, W-I-T, will integration training, and it's 12-week step-by-step program on how to build your will. If, if again, if you are pathetic, you need to build your will. If if you don't find it on my website, then send me an email, again, drpeterresnik at gmail.com, and request the wit, W-I-T, and I will gladly uh, send it to you. Anyway, uh, I have to wrap up now this show. We did not finish the talk about apathy. Uh, I still wanted to talk today about apathy that comes from laziness, simply being lazy. And there are people 
There is a reason they're lazy, but nevertheless, they're lazy. There is no trauma, uh, no defeat that made them uh, lazy. It's just they're lazy. So I will gladly talk about it next time. Or next time, possibly, possibly, I'm not certain. I will uh, bring a guest, and you know that guest, it's my nephew, Vladimir Angert, uh, who is a psychic medium and healer, because uh, we wanted to talk, in our talks, we kind of came about the subject on death and dying. And it's an uncomfortable subject for most people. Psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote about it extensively, had the courage to bring up the subject, because it's an important subject, and in Western civilization, it's kind of shunned away from. So if he can make it, actually, Vladimir Angert will be with us next week, and we'll talk about death and dying, and uh, because he knows death and dying from as a psychic medium, uh, talking to, uh, to actually spirit. Uh, when it departs and seeing when it departs and so on. Uh, if you uh, heard my interviews with Vladimir, you know uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about. And again, you will be able to call in and ask some questions. Anyway, I have to finish uh, this show today and I want to thank you all for being part of the show. I'm looking forward to have your attention next week. Peace to all who want to live in peace.